Hello and welcome to Lit, a podcast for combating burnout. I'm your host, Kate Newberg, and this is episode 15. It's called I Don't Have Time. In this episode, we're going to dive into the meat of the question that my friend asked last week. So just a quick reminder, the question was, um, I want to be a paragon of health for my patients, but I don't have the time, energy, or resources to feel like I'm doing it justice, which gives me a lot of cognitive dissonance. And so this is part two answer in addressing that question. And just a quick reminder, last week we kind of chipped away at the edges of that question. Um, we talked about what does it mean to be healthy? We talked about um, the fact that paradoxes live not in our heads, but in our hearts. And our, our, our heads are not designed to hold paradoxes. Um, so when we are confronted with a paradox, it has the opportunity to point us toward a much deeper truth, but we have to really live into the into that truth with our hearts um, and with something deeper than our heads. And um, we also we talked about um, how a lot of the um, issues, especially with helping professions or for any for any role in which you're giving, is that we feel um, in some ways that it's self-indulgent to stand up and say, I deserve this for myself. And so the idea that I want to be a paragon of health for my patients, we turned that around and said, what if we said, I want to be a paragon of health for myself? And what if we say, I deserve that simply because um, this is my life and this is what I define as um, a life worth living? And so we chipped away at the edges of that question, and now I want to dive into the meat of the question, which is, I don't have time. Oh my gosh, this comes up over and over and over again. I don't have time, energy, resources. I don't have enough time. We feel this um, scarcity mindset around time, and I think often for good reason, uh, because it's it's our reality in, in many ways when we're, uh, I think there's this the statistic I came across that Americans spend on average 9.5 hours a day at work. And that adds up to 43% of your waking hours. Um, that's a long time. That's a big chunk of your life to be spending, um, to be spending on the job. And so um, this idea, the scarcity mindset around time, it's very, prevalent. We feel it. We say, oh my gosh, I have to do this and then this, and then I have to do all that. And then maybe I'll get, you know, and I have to spend some time with the kids and make dinner and um, all this. Right. And, and it's like on top of the work we're doing. So, and it is funny, just side note, uh, I, I, I'm not the first person to have thought this, but uh, how crazy it is that we've created all these devices that ostensibly save us time, right? Cars, washing machines, cell phones, um, all these things that's, that are designed to quote unquote save us time. And we're working harder than ever. We're working like crazy. Um, you know, even grocery stores, right? We don't have to buy, we don't have to grow our own food so we can just go buy it, you know? So it's like, it's like this, um, th this whole world is seemed designed to quote unquote, save us time, you know, time, 
and and that's another thing we talk about uh, time being when, when we think about the words we use for time, spend, save, waste, right? Like time is this commodity. It's very commodified in our in our culture. And so we design all these things that quote unquote save us time and, and we're we're actually working harder than ever. So what's going on with that? Um, I have a feeling that this this episode that I that I'm I'm just really gonna scratch the surface of this really deep existential question around time. Um, but we're going to, we got to start somewhere, um, and explore it and, but, and we'll probably keep exploring it throughout the duration of the whole, um, life of this podcast, but let's start somewhere. So I don't have time. What do we do with that? Well, let's, let's think about time for a second. Let's think about the quality that time takes on at different parts of our lives. When we're doing something we hate, suddenly we feel time very uh, very strongly, we feel the presence of time. We feel the slippage of time when we're doing something we don't like. But think about when you're doing something you love. Um, when we're doing something we love, we feel lifted up and out of time in some ways. Um, like we're just, it's like we're in this state. I know it's called a state of flow. A lot of people call it that a state of flow and it's these actions or these activities that tap directly into our heart center and bring us into the present moment. And when we're in the present moment, we're nourished with this eternal energy spring. So it's this idea that this there's this there's this activity or or action that you can perform that if you could do it all day and come away fulfilled and happy, right? You could do it for nine and a half hours a day and feel like um, you know, all those adjectives or all those, all those things we use to describe time wasted, spent, right. That none of those really apply that it was, it was, it was just, um, fulfilling a fulfilling chunk of your life. <laughs> and, um, I'm thinking actually about in some last weekend, I've, I, I've been working on this book proposal and, I sat down and there's a, there's an agent who was interested in seeing it. And so, and of course I had like a rough draft of the proposal, but I didn't have anything polished. And so I knew I spent the, I knew I had to get that thing ready. I wanted to get it to him, you know, first thing on Monday. So I spent, spent, there it is right there, right? That word. But the entire weekend, I probably nine hours a day, maybe 10 on a weekend, right? And I canceled all my plans and I went into this state of, is hermitude a word? Hermitude. <laughs> I was a hermit for, for the entire weekend. I woke up and I wrote and I lost. And my, again, there's, how do we describe time? I lost track of time, right? Time seemed not to exist. And I would look up and I would, and it had been hours and, uh, and I hadn't even realized it. And I was hungry all of a sudden. I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot to eat. All this was happening. I was in this deep state of flow for the entire weekend. And it was, it was one of those things like, I remember um, Elizabeth Gilbert had this really kind of funny description of your creative projects and how she's like, you, you should treat your creative projects like this illicit lover that you can't wait to see again. 
and that you're obsessed with and that all you can think about is seeing them and being with them. And that's how I felt that weekend. I would, I would be like, Oh, I have to stop to eat. Um, or I should really go for a walk or something and clear my head. And then every time I thought I was done, like every time I thought I had nothing left to give, like it would be eight o'clock at night. And I'd be like, I wrote a lot today. I wrote for nine hours already. I should really stop. And I'd, and I'd take a break and I would just, the whole time I'd be like, I, I have to go back. I can't wait to get back. I have to sit down and write that more. <laughs> like, And it was so, and it was just this like deep longing to be in that state of flow. And I was so happy. Um, it's funny. Cause you know, I didn't see anyone. I didn't really do anything other than write, but it was, it's one of the, my favorite weekends that I've had in a really long time. And, um, and I felt like I'd had this long tryst with my illicit lover, uh, you know, and, and it was, and my illicit lover was my writing. And so it was just, and it was really beautiful. And so, um, and, and to come back to the idea of time, like for me in that state, while I was writing, time did not seem to exist. It didn't go by. It didn't, it wasn't wasted. It wasn't spent. I was fully in that, in the present moment. And, um, and if you listen to or read any Eckhart Tolle, he really talks about how um, it's being in the present moment that lifts you up and out of this, um, of this feeling of time that really the present moment is timeless. And that timelessness of the present really nourishes you. Um, and if we can't build that type of state into our lives, then we are going, we are going to be spent, right? We are going to feel spent and wasted. Um, and it's almost like tapping back into the present moment is this thing that just nourishes you. Um, I think I saw a statistic that uh, people at work who are able to spend 20% of their time doing something that they loved were just, I can't remember the statistic, but it was significantly less likely to be, to burn out on the job. And that's, and just, if they just tapped into that for 20% of their time, suddenly their job became this more sustainable thing. So, um, so let's think about time a little bit. Let's think about the flow. Let's think about how to create that space in your life, right? So the first thing I want to ask you is what helps you access that state of flow? What helps you access that present moment? Time, like all things um, in our universe, all fundamental things in our universe can't be created or destroyed. You can't create more time. All you can do is is love the time that you have and love the time that you're that you that you have to work with. And we access flow through our strengths. I think that's a truism that isn't always lifted up in our society, but we access flow through things that we love and we're good at. Um and there I was reading this book called um, nine lies about work is an incredible book. I recommend it highly. I could not put it down. And one of the things they say is that leaders, they're, they're talking a lot about leaders, uh, but I feel like what they talk about really applies to anyone. And they say that they're, they're what they call spiky. Um, there's this myth that leaders or 
you know, people who are strong in their jobs are, are well-rounded and so much of our professional learning and professional development. And, and it's like, and all of our, the messages we get are focus on your limitations, focus on your limitations, strengthen those. And just in some level, like there's something to be said for that on, in small ways, but um, the, the example they use is Messi, the, you know, arguably the greatest soccer player of all time. Uh, football for for my international listeners um and they and one of the things they talked about with him is that he he really only uses his left foot um when he's dribbling when he's shooting he I think they said like nine out of ten touches he uses his left foot and no one's going to argue with his results right (laughs) but he never felt the need to become quote unquote well-rounded. He never felt the need to work more on, um, you know, being more balanced with using whichever foot he just, he leaned into his strengths and he became, you know, arguably the best soccer player of all time, just using his left foot. And so their, their, um, their whole point was that they recommend that, everyone leans into and develops their, their strengths and really works with that. Cause not only is that more fun, um, it's, it's also gonna, it's gonna propel you further. It's not like working on your strengths doesn't make you grow. Working with your strengths does make you grow. It just makes you grow exponentially faster than working with your limitations. So like a, a really silly real life example um, obviously one of my strengths is writing. That's one of my biggest strengths. It's something, and it's something I absolutely love to do. Um, I think I was thinking about, I was, I was looking back and I realized, um, I was doing some of these exercises that I've talked about in this podcast, um, when thinking about like, well, what did we love to do when we were little? Right. And I realized I wrote my first book when I was in first grade <laughs> and I, and I, and I wrote this book called the vegetarian cat which is hilarious because I feel like even then, I guess as a first grader, I had this like kind of honed sense of irony (laughs) that I've carried with me my whole life. But no, I wrote my first book then and I, and I created the binding and I published, I published quote unquote published it. You know, I I illustrated it and I made it into a book and I think my parents might still have it somewhere, but I wrote my first book in first grade. Right. So I think it's not that big of a stretch to see that, at this time in my life at 34 years old, you know, this many years later, whatever, 28 years later or whatever it is, um, I still find joy and um, fulfillment in writing and that I would be drawn to writing books. Uh, so the idea is that I'm leaning into those strengths, right? Um, but but here's something that's not a strength of mine. I will admit freely and anyone who knows me just knows this. I am I have a terrible sense of direction but you didn't see that one coming terrible sense of direction. And I could spend hours and hours in a day, you know, studying maps, trying to figure out how to, how to enhance my sense of direction. Um, and I might, you know, incrementally improve that, but it's not really a good use of my time. Uh, it, it's, it's better perhaps to just accept it as a limitation and take precautions than it is to try to enhance that part of my personality. And so, um, I think one of the things we don't talk about in our, 
culture is that we do have limitations. You know, we say, oh, you can do anything you want. Um, but what, but it, it's important to think about our limitations as well as our strengths and to accept those as, as part of the, what, um, Parker Palmer taught when he talks about, uh, listening in, in his amazing book, let your life speak. He talks about, um, how much he's learned from the nose that have popped up in his life. Um, that you can learn almost more from the nose than from the yeses. And so think about, you know, it's important as we're talking about strengths to also think about, you know, what are your limitations? What are your nose? And, and, and to think about moving away from those. But for this, for this episode, we're going to think a lot about what are your spikes? What are your strengths? Um, and then obviously I told a story about how I wrote on a weekend, right. And it was extremely fulfilling and I was able to tap into that state of flow but I also said that to make a job sustainable, you need to be able to tap into that while on the job. So let's talk a little bit how we can tap into that state of flow while you're on the job. Um, because again, there's no way that we can have fulfilling lives if, if 43% of our waking hours are spent doing stuff we hate outside of that state of flow. We really need to be able to access that while we're at work. So how can we do that? Um, I have a story about a teacher I studied she, um, in in one of my in my in my doctoral research that I think illustrates this really well. It was um, I was observing this teacher and I noticed that when he was when he was kind of facilitating students in small groups he was lit up. It's like, it's almost like light was shining from him. He was energetic. He was excited. He was bouncing around the room. He was asking questions. Um, he was in that, what you would call that state of flow. There was like, he was just lit up. And then I noticed that when he was in front of a large group or like giving a lecture, he almost seemed to recede into himself. Like he became smaller he almost became physically smaller. It was strange. It's like he was in this darkness, like he got darkened and um, his energy just plummeted. And it was, it was this really dramatic difference. And I brought that up to him. Um, I, in one of our interviews, I said, you know, I really noticed that when you're facilitating small groups, you just seem so alive and when you're giving lectures, you just seem to, like a part of you just seems to kind of recede. And he, he said, oh, I love, um, I love when I'm facilitating small groups because I just, I just feel like I get to watch my students learn from each other. And one of the things we dug, when we dug into that, we you know, one of his deepest values and one of the reasons he went into teaching in the first place was that he wanted to facilitate student empowerment and ownership of their own learning. And so it, it was really, it didn't, it made a lot of sense that when he was in the process of doing that, he was the most lit up because that is, that was a type of kind of classroom configuration that spoke to him deeply. And when, and when, you know, after a successful class where students had been learning in small groups, he was jazzed, you know, and this is, this is a difficult profession. This was his first year teaching. 
Um, but he was just so much more energized. And so um, when I asked him about the lecturing thing, he said, you know, well, I just feel like I'm supposed to do that. I feel like that's what teachers do <laughs> as they lecture. You know, that's a big part of what the job is supposed to be. And so we, what we did was we, we kind of, I, we worked on how can we, first of all, kind of dismantle that idea of what teaching is supposed to be, quote unquote, and um, configure your days so that you're spending your maximum amount of time in this state of flow, in this configuration that um, really lights you up. And how can we do that? And he, toward, at the end of the year, was one of the happiest teachers, was one of the most resilient teachers within the stress, you know, the inevitable stress that accompanies teaching uh, because he was able to kind of take ownership of that. So, um, so one of the things I want to talk about um, is that sometimes when we talk about being burned out, sometimes quitting your job and doing something else is the answer. And sometimes it's not the answer. Um, and and in, in relation to this, I highly recommend if you're listening to this, as soon as you're done, download Rob Bell's the Robcast two-part series called Anatomy of Restlessness, because he goes deep into this idea of questions to ask yourself when you're feeling restless um, or feeling like something isn't quite aligned in your world. And um, sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we say, I just have to quit my job and go do something else, right? And sometimes that is totally the answer, and it's actually what I did. <laughs> um, and I'm And I'm happier than I've ever been. But sometimes it's not the answer. And I'll say, um, or sometimes it is the answer eventually. Uh, but sometimes you're stuck paying your dues. So I'll say when I was, when I started teaching years ago, um, I had gotten into this program, the New York City Teaching Fellows, that in exchange for teaching, you know, in some of the high need schools in New York City, I would get my master's degree um, paid for by the program. It was kind of this, it was hard to staff um, those high need schools in the, in the more high needs district. And so uh, they needed teachers in there. And, and so it was kind of this bargain, this um, quid pro quo. Like if I teach in these schools, you'll pay for my master's. And I ended up teaching for four years I had this commitment um, and I was burned out by the, by my second year, I was burning out pretty badly. And by the end of my third year, I realized I had really nothing left to give. And I ended up going back for a fourth year um, and, you know, just kind of running on, honestly running on fumes. And if I'm going to be honest, probably doing my students a bit of a disservice, uh, you know, but doing, doing the best I could. But, uh, but what I will say is that those, those years that I spent teaching, and I was in that contract and I was committed. Um, those years of quote unquote kind of paying my dues, which is in some ways a terrible way to look at, look at it, but it's how I felt at the time. Um, they set me on this path that I am, that I'm on now. 
And they helped those years really helped me because I went through them. Um, and I've been learning from and reflecting on those years and those experiences ever since. And so um, in some ways, paying your dues, sometimes you're just stuck paying your dues, right? And in the long run, that might be actually a positive thing, even though at the time it feels so weighty and so difficult. Um, but then again, I can also say, what do I wish I'd known then that I know now? And for those of you who are out there in a job that maybe maybe you have a commitment, maybe you have loans that you're paying off, maybe, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, um, you know, and you're in this job for whatever reason, and you know that perhaps right now quitting isn't the right answer. Um, and by the way, side note, uh, sometimes you quit, but those patterns that you brought with you into that job are just going to follow you into your next job. Right. So, so, um, so that's also something to think about. I definitely went to a bunch of different schools while I was teaching and it was, it felt like the same thing over and over again, switching schools wasn't helping. So anyway, um, so that's, that's another aside that maybe I'll go into in another podcast, but, um, in the, in the last few minutes of this podcast, I want to talk about what do I wish I'd known then? And so here's some, here's some stuff I came up with. First of all, you're drawn to this job for a reason, especially if you're in a helping profession. So go back to that. What was the reason? This is something in my research I call calling. My, my colleague, Dr. Paul Michaelek, and I call calling is what drew you to this job in the first place? Tap back into that for a second. Because that can help you set that, that tapping back into that can help you kind of remember what you're doing there and what you want to accomplish there and what kind of impact you want to make. Now, then I want to say for a week, maybe it takes two weeks, be really aware when you're working and notice when you're in that state of flow. Notice when you're lit up like that teacher who is in small group work, who is doing small group work. What do you find when you're lit up? Like what, what circumstances, when you're lit up, what circumstances are you in? What are you doing? What are you saying? Who are you with? Um, and then think about how those circumstances relate back to your values. So you can, so you can think about how can I advocate for more of that? How can I advocate for more of that thing that lights me up? How can I create within the time of my job more space and more time for that thing that lights me up? Um, maybe it's a certain type of patient. Maybe it's a certain type of work with patients, you know, if you're a doctor. Um, and can you advocate for it? It, it you might know from the outset that your that the answer will be no, but you you really don't know that until you try, right? And if it's the kind of environment that gets uh, that gets you get a lot of pushback for advocating for yourself, that's good to know too. Maybe you don't know it right now, but you advocate for yourself, and then you get pushback. That's the environment you're in. That's something you need to be aware of, right? Um, and I have stories about that um, that I've done, but I. We only have like two minutes left, so I want to make sure I get into the to the rest of the stuff. Um, another question, is it possible to flex your hours in a way that makes more sense for you? Again, the answer may be no, 
But you also might not know until you ask. You know, come in with your reasons and don't be afraid to self-advocate. Um, and to be honest about how certain a- aspects of the job are affecting you. You know, you know, and everyone knows that you do your best work when you're rested and fulfilled. So um, it might feel like you're powerless if you're new somewhere. Um, but in my experience, when you speak up for what's best for you and you create and you start to create kind of boundaries or um, you start to you start to advocate for the, the types of things in your work that really fulfill you. People stand up and take notice and um, the right people are going to respect you for that. Right. And if people, if people are, again, are giving you pushback or are feeling frustrated that you're advocating for yourself, that's not necessarily, if you go all the way back to my three truths about conflict, that's, that's not necessarily, that's not an expression of you, right? That's a reflection of them. And that's a reflection of the culture you're in. And in some ways it's good to know that. And maybe nothing changes, but at least you know that you advocated for the things that are important for you. So really quick recap in this last minute. Um, Go back to your calling. Why were you drawn to this profession? For a week or two weeks, notice when you're in this state of flow, because it will happen. It will pop up. Um, and, And write that down. And then reflect on it. What was it about that that put me in that state of flow? What values did that bring up? And then advocate for yourself. If you need fewer hours or different hours, advocate for that. If you need um, a different type of patient or a different type of way of working, advocate for that and see what happens. Okay. We are almost out of time. This has been another episode of Lit. Um, I don't have time was the name of the episode. So in the last six seconds, it was great to talk to you. I'll talk to you guys next week.